0: Welcome to. Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast brought to you by Cracked Rackets. My name is Alex Gruskin, and joining me on today's first podcast of the summer hardcore season, it is former Denison tennis superstar, a man whose forehand chop is second only to Mitchell Krueger, It's Cracked Rackets writer James Foster McDonald. Jamie, hey, great shot.
1: Hey, Grubbson, how you doing? I'm Great du- to be here, and thanks for using my full name. I appreciate it. Oh, I, just,
0: lot of I thought when people start making your Wikipedia page, it's only fair that they have your middle name as well. Paint a more accurate picture. Yeah, well, once again, I appreciate that. <laughs> of Thank course. you. And no, I appreciate you for... Uh, Coming on the pod for making the transition from grass tennis and sticking out these hardcore matches. I will say before we even get started, it is such a pleasure to be back on the hardcourts and to see some points actually constructed. We get long baseline rallies. We see guys have to out, you know, the physicality is now back in play. And a guy who has a lot to say on this is our third guest on today's podcast. It is Crack Racket's producer. Ivy League champion and newly formed chemist Max Fligner. Maxie.
2: Hey, great shot! we'll see about the uh, legitimacy of that last statement after uh, I get my scores back a, tomorrow. What is a newly formed chemist? I don't look know, like? but. The glasses
0: you now have the uh, dad layer of fat on your <laughs> belly. That's the kind uh
2: I'm stressing out too much to even get fat.
0: Well, you know, use tennis as your output here. We'll see what these guys I are tried. Gonna, you, you wouldn't you know, hit with me today. I asked you guys, to hit. That's true. A lot of these that's guys we're fault. talking about today though, you have beaten, and so you'd think maybe watching this event would get you motivated, get you back out there. Probably not. <laughs> Fair enough. But okay, uh one last thing before we get into our matches. If you're not already, go check out our coverage at crackedrackets.com. So many great series, so many great articles up on the website. You've got Alex Gornett's series examining the impact of foreign players in college tennis. He's talking about the percentage each roster has of foreign players compared to American-born players. A really fascinating article series, and hopefully we'll be able to have him on the podcast to talk about it more in depth, but go check that out. You know, we've always got updates from what's going on on tour from Ryan Cardiff and, of course, Matt Stokowiak, who I'm sure would love to be here. But, you know, if you miss his voice, go check out his writing because his voice shines through there. Of course, we've got our guy, Parson Amati, who's been covering the World Team Tennis events in California, having a blast, getting all the interviews. You know, he's a Twitter superstar, so it was nice. It's always nice to see him writing on our own website. And then, of course, if you haven't, check out Anna Bright's pieces. She wrote, An Excellent Peach, the Peach. You can leave that in. She wrote an excellent piece talking about Little Mo's that came out today, talking about the impact that series has on young players and you know the exposure they get there and how that translates uh, into their junior career. So really, go, go check out a lot of fascinating pieces on the website. Obviously, follow our social media accounts: Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And you know, I have to ask you, as always, if you haven't go subscribe, download this podcast as well as the Cracked Interviews podcast. We've had our interview with Dartmouth coach Chris Drake, and Flinger was on that pod. That was a really fun one. We got to talk about their experience winning an Ivy League title this year. Coach Drake's background in the game, he was a top 100 doubles player, and he's got some great stories from on, tour. I believe he has wins over Mahout and Simone. Maybe Anderson yeah. too. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Because yeah, you've heard oh, about it yeah, before. Yeah, you know? yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Go check out our interview with Todd Tucker. We have all the next gen Americans. So many great interviews. Go check those out. Again, rate, review, subscribe, five star ratings only. But enough of that. Let's talk about our event. We're talking, of course, about the 2018 Nielsen Men's Pro Tennis Championships, also known as the Winnetka Challenger. And I have to say, it's nice to be talking about the Challenger Tour again. Obviously, the French Open, Wimbledon stretch of the season, a lot of big events in a short time period. So there's not as many Challenger events, not as many chances to see these young guys thrive or at least play matches on live streamed events. A lot of them are in the futures events because that's what's going on during the majors. So it was great to get to see, you know, guys like Tommy Paul, Ernesto Escobedo, Tim Smichek, J.C. Aragonia, you know, guys we've had on the Cracked Interviews podcast, so again, go check that out, but great to see these guys back in action, and with that, you know, a lot of matches in this event, Uh, we're going to take a particular focus in this podcast on the Americans playing the event and how they did we're going to do a similar format like we did with Wimbledon where we take a deep dive into these matches again you can find all of these matches on the live stream and when you look at the post for this podcast on the website we're going to post all of the links of the matches we're talking about today in case you want to go check those out yourself so you know go check out that link online but the first match we're going to talk about we're talking about a guy returning from injury he's played once before this, he played the Dallas Challenger back in January. Then he played a Futures in the lead-up, and now he's making his return to tour. It's the young American Tommy Paul who, in the first round, takes out Tim Smyczek, the number one seed, one six seven six six four. I can already hear Fleener thinking it's the curse of six one, which I don't really understand, but I guess it's a no, thing. I can explain it to you. if you need All right, go me for to. it. Explain the curse
2: of six one. It's pretty simple, really. If you win the first set six one in a match, you're you're destined to lose. it's uh, There's well, nothing more well, to course. it. Of course, cue the light bulb. Um, but it, there's no depth to that. It's just a fact. Yeah, there's no empirical basis for that whatsoever, <laughs> except all the matches I've lost. You
0: spend the whole pre-podcast listening to Neil deGrasse Tyson, <laughs> and you have no empirical evidence. <laughs> That's funny. But okay, then I'm going to you, Jamie. Um, you know it's Tommy's first match back at the challenger level after a long layoff almost 6 months and so to be thrown into the fire against a guy like Tim Smeczek a guy you think is going to make you work on the court you know it's a tough first round matchup. And so you know that 6-1 first set he lost what did you see was an indicative more of Smeczek playing really well was it a slow start from Tommy and then how did he recover throughout the match
1: to me it was just a- start. Um, I mean, mostly, of course, you know, Smicek, you know, played a bunch of good points and, you know, put them in tough spots, but for me, it's, you know, especially when you see someone coming back from injury, it, it's always, there's a lot of pressure on, like, a big match like this, right? It's one of the first ones back, um, and, you know, it's discouraging if you're watching that the first set, you're like, oh, okay, well, gosh, he's really not back at all, um, and so that's where my mind kind of was for a while at first set, he gets beaten down 6-1, and it's just not good. There's a lot of, there's a lot of just, ugly misses from from the Tommy Paul side of the net. Um, And then, you know, luckily after that first set, he cleans up his act a little bit. Um, And what's interesting about this match, and I'm sure we'll get more into the stats as well um, once we all have a chance to, you know, break it down a little bit. But for me, when you look at the match stats, I think you have to remember that Tommy Paul had such a bad start to this match because some of the stats are so misleading. I mean, even the fact that Smicek won more total points, uh, I just kind of think speaks to the overall fact that, you know, Tommy Paul... If you get rid of that first set, you know, this was just a solid all-around good match for both players, but especially Tommy Paulin, so it's great to see him sort of bounce back from that rough first set. And on top of that, the injury, and then come back and you know pull out a victory in a, in a match
0: like that. Good to see. Well, you talk about a turnaround in a match. In that first set, Smicek wins 82% of his first serve points, 70% of his second serve points, and then for the match, he wins 63% of his first serve points, but only 45% of his second serve points. A, du- a drastic drop, and you know that's a testament to Tommy's level increasing. You really look at this game. Tommy's broken in the first game of the match. Two double faults in his first three points. An unforced error on a serve plus one. You know, just not the start you want in your first game back from injury. Your first service game, and you know that's the game you play. Just horrific on every level. And yeah, it, it was really came down to Tommy was going for way too much at the beginning of the match. You know, so many unforced errors. To me, he just could not buy a forehand that entire first set. It was just spraying everywhere. And then, look, Smichek played solid. He, You know, he made a lot of first serves. He went after his forehand. Smichek definitely stays on top of the baseline and, you know, likes to take balls early, redirect it, especially with the forehand. But yeah, Tommy's level really picked up in the second set. You know, this match, it was kind of a cluster. Uh, if you look at it, it was 2 3. Smicek was up a break in the second, and then there were five straight breaks in the match to bring it back to, uh, I believe it was 5 all. And just, you know, neither guy could hold serve. Whoever could dictate from the beginning because neither was really impactful with their serve, you know, hitting that first ball return, that kind of dominated the points. And. Yeah, in the end, I guess it was a testament to Tommy. I thought his ground stroke sat a little bit short, but I don't know, Jamie. I thought he definitely hung in there longer and almost grinded this one out.
1: Yeah, no, I think this is a testament to him being mentally tough as well. You know, there were definitely times in this match where it wasn't the cleanest tennis by any means. And, you know, this happens a lot at this level. We can talk about that later, too, where, you know, it's kind of entertaining because it's not, you know, it's not the same, you know, high level we're used to seeing it, like, you know, the top, top, top tier of the pros. But at the same time, you know, to have that mental toughness to say, like, you know what, hey, this isn't going great, but I'm going to grind this out and win, because you know, as you know, as a viewer of this, you see me checks up six one and a break, and you're like, ah, uh, you know, this is probably going downhill for Tommy call. Well, he gets broken, uh, but then he breaks again. Uh, and then he's serving 4-3 and then he gets broken and serves and, you know, loses the match. And so it's really, you know, first of all, that's just a lot of back and forth. But I think, like I said, I think that's, you know, a big positive for Tommy Paul to take away from this match. It's like, no, it wasn't the best tennis at all times, but, you know, he stuck in there and he got it done. And So I think that's the important part for him.
0: Well, you talk about the sloppy tennis, Tommy has 10 double faults on the day. It just seems like, and yeah, towards the third set, he started cramping a little bit and his service motion changed and it was just about getting it in. And I do want to get down to how this match actually, you know, carried out because it was crazy back and forth. Tommy Paul did fight off match points and there was cramping. He was up 5-1 in the third and then it was 5-4. Um, but Fligner, you know, coming back from an injury like Tommy Paul is, what do you think the hardest things are for him to adjust to? For me, it looked like the shot selection, you know, when to take off and to be aggressive on that first ball. I'm just curious, because I know you've had injuries. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What is it when you're making that transition is so difficult?
2: Well, I think the uh, sort of hand-wavy answer to that would be match toughness, which I recognize is a bit of a well, but, yeah, throwaway what term. What does that but term mean? Yeah, so definitely shot selection is a huge part of that. Um you know, shot selection is one of those things that comes with a ton of experience, and it's not something that can necessarily be taught. I mean, it can, to a certain extent, but um, in, in a match situation, in a high pressure situation, it's definitely an experience thing. And when you're coming back from an injury, you know, that's one of the hardest things to remember how to do well. It's hard to replicate. Yeah, that in exactly. Practice. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. So um, I think that's a huge positive for Tommy that he was able to. Um, you know bounce back after being down big you know that's a huge confidence booster if you can do that after coming back from an injury then you can do that you know when you can do that more and more um so I think yeah mental toughness and shot selection and then probably serving I know you mentioned you know the double faulting I think serving is one of those things that um is a bit of a paradox because you it is the shot that you have the most control over and yet requires the most precision to do well so uh, it's one of the things that can sort of let you down when, A, you haven't been playing for a while, and B, you know, you might be nervous. So, you know, obviously, all, the, all those three things sort of coalesced for him as the match went on.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, again, talking about this match, though, you look at it, in that second set tiebreak, there's a ball 0-1, uh, or sorry, 1-0, Tommy Paul's up, and you know Smicek has a look at a forehand cross court pass that just barely misses and smechek was furious you know he goes up to the net he questions <laughs> the line judge he had a, and it was funny throughout this match smechek was very testy with the line judge and you know at that point tommy goes up 4-0 then smechek wins six straight points after just a, just so many errors in a row from tommy is again that shot selection comes back into play he just overcooked forehands when he didn't need to and then, you know, Smichek makes two airs. Yeah, that's another, thing. Yeah, that's another
2: thing that comes with experience, right? Yeah,
0: absolutely. And then, you know, Smichek ties it six all. Then seven six Smichek goes up after another forehand error. A ridiculous point from Tommy, seven all. And then Smichek double faults his serve to give Tommy the eight seven lead. Big second serve plus one combo for Tommy. He takes the second set, 7-6. Just like that, the momentum's changed. And then Tommy runs out to a 5-1 lead in the third. And as I mentioned, Smichek slowly comes back. Tommy takes an injury timeout. His serving motion changed. At one point in 5-4, 15-30, he's serving for the match. He hits an underhand serve that Smichek just does not hit a smart return on Tommy ends up winning the point because he gets an easy pass. I mean, this match had everything, and so <laughs> it, it, it was just... When you're thinking about matches in terms of a comeback, uh, you know, your return match from injury, it's very, very funky. Typical yeah. of Tommy Paul. Right. and it was funny because Smichek's a Midwest guy, which you could hear about, again, if you check out his interview, the Correct Interviews podcast. Um, and the crowd was just itching for Tommy to come back after that first set, after that blowout. I'm sure they they wanted to see more tennis. Yeah, and they they had to have been thoroughly entertained. But so, Jamie, you know, any parting thoughts on this match in terms of Tommy's level for, you know, his first match back from injury?
1: No, I mean, I've pretty much said it all. I mean, I'll say it again. I I think it's important to take away positives from this match. And, you know, turning around a match like that, especially when it would have been real easy to just sort of tank and give up, you know, um, he's playing a solid opponent, someone who's, you know, the number one seed. It would have been would've been pretty easy to just kinda of float out of this match, you know, maybe get a few games in the second and be like, Oh well, I'm coming back from injury. But, you know, I respect the the grit he showed there and, you know, he came up with a W and so that's that's big for him. I think that's
0: important. I mean he ends the match cramping on the ground on the court and you know the trainer yeah. comes right out. So yeah, that's the effort you have to ask for, I will say You know, his start was probably the slowest start I've seen from anything since Dunkirk. And you know, that's 23 minutes of silence, no dialogue, so. It, it it would like you know it was good to see him in the, his next round go on to a quicker start again <laughs> yeah that, that joke kind of flopped i guess i get the last <laughs> i was looking for but <laughs> i was just
2: thinking of the movie a quiet place where <laughs> there's like yeah, probably there three lines go. the whole time yeah that's a better one um but that's not a slow start that's just the constant and this match that's got okay <laughs> all right yeah n-
0: nevertheless um six to one yeah great great result from tommy but okay let's move on to our next match. You know, it's funny because in this challenger, the guys aren't ranked that far apart. Tommy's ranked 249 versus Mechak's in 99, or at least that was the live rankings as of July 24th. You know, we're recording this on July 26th, so it may be slightly different now. Um, but so you know, not a big gap between them, but Tommy takes out the one seed then, in this match j c Aragoni takes out the two seed bjorn for 6 seven six six two These are guys Aragoni right now is at a career high two seventy eight for one sixty two though he's been ranked in the top one hundred before, I believe he's gotten up to number ninety nine and so again, all these guys, Americans. Um, the levels between them So close And in this match Aragoni takes out Fertangelo You know you have a tiebreaker In the first 6-2 uh, in the second Aragone kind of pulled away After getting a break Early in that first game In the second set But you know Jamie um, Aragoni's a guy Who A little bit younger Than Fertangelo But he takes the college route Spends four years there Versus Fertangelo Who uh, You know Goes directly from high school He wins the Junior French Open And he's right on the pro tour Uh I don't know. What do you think about the argument Aragoni has a more complete game than for Tangela?
1: Well, I don't know. I mean, I think you can make that argument a little easier uh, when you see the scoreline of this, this match. Um, I think you see it from the ground a lot of the time. Um, I think you see it from the fact that, you know, Aragoni goes, you know, 100% on his break points. And so, you know, you see the fact that he's able to come up with, you know, return opportunities and capitalize on them. Uh, Whether that speaks to the fact that he has more of a, you know, pro game potential, I don't really know. Um, And and especially for me, it's kind of hard to use these results to sort of predict something like that. Um, You know, especially with just sort of like the general volatility of, you know, the seeds being uprooted. You know, it's just kind of the way it goes in these sort of tournaments. Um, But, I mean, for me, I think that the takeaways, at least for Aragonian, is the fact that, I mean, hell of a groundstroker. And I think if he can convert that and get a little more consistency under him um, in terms of just wearing people down, balance that with actually, you know, using his forehand as a big weapon. There are a lot of times, you know, he has it. Absolutely, that's you know something he has had his game you know built around. But there are a lot of times in this where I kind of saw him reaching for that ball in the approach shots, and sometimes just needs to clean it up a little bit if we want to see it go to that next level. But I think it, it's fair to say you would see more upsides from this match simply based on the fact that you know. He won the match, and it was fairly convincing toward the
0: end. Well, you know, if you haven't seen J.C. Aragoni play, he's a guy who takes massive cuts at the ball, just absolutely goes after his ground strokes, has big backswings, so, you know, he can be jammed with pace, but just a guy with weapons from the ground. He's very quick, explosive, and it's reflected in his game. Uh, Going back to the argument I was making earlier, though, I think why I'm more impressed with Aragoni in terms of how I project him into the future. You can just see the weapons and the patterns he's developed from his time. And, you know, I give that as a testament to his four years playing college tennis at Virginia, you know, being able to replicate that at every practice and then, you know, being able to do that, playing five singles comfortably, you know, getting so many matches in and he was so successful. So he knows the combos that work for him versus a guy in Fortangelo who, I'm not trying to disparage, you know, Fertangelo has an incredible game. And again, he's top 160 for a reason. Um, he's, you know, he's made the top 100, he's incredibly successful, but I just worry, you know, for Fertangelo, he didn't have an outstanding weapon, there was nothing that really stuck out in his game, he loves to play that inside-in, inside-out forehand game, loves to, you know, protect himself on the ad side of the court, but still, Aragoni's fine with that, he'll take his huge cuts down the line, you know, if Fertangelo goes inside-in and leaves it a little bit short, Aragoni's ripping a forehand cross-court, I love the way Aragoni moves in, I think, uh, you know, his the the combos he has with his serve, whether it's on the ad, the huge kick out wide, or on the deuce, you know, he's willing to slice out wide as well. He's got all of the tools um, available to him. And then, yeah, you know, you look at his points, he wins 70% of his first serve points, 59% of his second serve points, goes three of three on break points. He played a very solid match, and I, I, I just, I'm just really impressed with the level of a guy who, again, played five singles through his time in college. Like, it's incredible. Virginia was stacked. I was saying it for years.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they were. Um, And, you know, just going off that as well, you know, I think that playing five is something that could actually come to really help him if he's, you know, moving up the ranks like this. Because, like I said, he was able to win some points, you know, based on just, you know, having that consistency. But what was a little bit frustrating for me is, you know, there were times where, how do I say this, his... His consistency was
0: inconsistent. If that makes any sense, um, maybe it doesn't. Wait, can can I? Sorry to cut you off, but I I completely agree with you. I don't agree with your phrasing, but yeah, (laughs) he is. He takes risks, and it's not necessarily that they're bad risks. It's that he just misses. He does. He really goes after, and so I agree with you. The consistency is an issue.
1: Yeah, and I still think he was able to come out on top in this match because you know he has that foundation of playing five singles like that. So you know sometimes you simply just. Have to be consistent, but at the same time, he has the weapons like you were talking about, and he built his game around it. You know, especially on the forehand side, and so in a match like this, you know, he's able to be consistent when he needs to, but then against uh, Fritangelo, who doesn't just have as many weapons, you know, he's able to just basically run him around and dominate points. Um, and so that he was able to capitalize on that, and that's why he comes out on top. Of well, that.
0: another stat that stands out to me: second serve points, one for Fritangelo. He only wins thirty three percent of them. Aragoni goes after the returns, and Fritangelo's second yeah. serve sat up a little bit. And you know, if you give Aragoni a split second, he's so explosive, he's gonna go after the ball. And yeah, he was successful enough in this match. Unfortunately, we don't have access to unforced error count, but you have to imagine the winner total you know, was significantly higher than unforced errors in this. And Aragone when Aragone plays his best tennis, he can take control of any match. And so that, that's, that's a trait, you know, you, you want to see moving forward, but okay. And speaking of guys who, you know, hit the (laughs) out of the ball, let's talk about our next match. It's Ernesto Escobedo, a guy, a next gen superstar, a guy who was in the top 100 earlier this year, who has kind of fallen off a bit yes he was injured and so he's missed a little bit of time but he's down to 190 in the live rankings in this match first round of a challenger not a place he probably saw himself going back to he takes out martin joyce a guy who plays five and sometimes six singles for ohio state uh, but uh, you know a phenomenal player in his own right three six seven six six three um we'll start with you Flegner, because you have played martin joyce and you have beaten him so hey Great shot to you. Thank you. Uh, But just, you know, you look at this match, and you're talking about Martin Joyce. Again, though he doesn't have a current ATP ranking, a guy who knows his own tennis game, he's going to be aggressive. He's going to hit big first serves. He's going to try and take returns early, and he is going to rush to the net as much as possible. And so for Ernesto, who, you know, he likes to dictate as well. He likes to smack the ball around. Uh, It kind of threw him off guard at first, and so I guess... Talk about that adjustment. What it's like when you're playing someone like that who you know, is playing such an aggressive style.
2: What goes through your head? Well, I mean, the, stat that, the stats that stand out to me the most, you know, given the description you just gave about Martin's game, uh, which was accurate, by the way, um, <laughs> uh, is that he, he was only 50% on first serves and only won 36% of his second serves. So like, if you're going to play that kind of game, those stats have got to be higher. And I would imagine, given given, um, sorry, Um, going back to the question, that uh, playing a guy like Escobedo, like you know, who has that style of games, probably a a bit of a level higher than he's normally used to playing in college, um, that he would have felt more pressure on his serve.
0: Yeah, and for Ernesto, you know, the worst possible start, especially for, again, another guy coming back from injury. He gets broken at love at 1-1 in the first. He made two horrible first ball errors, unforced errors. He left an approach right in the middle for Joyce to pounce on. And then to Joyce's credit, he took a second serve return early. I believe it was an inside-in backhand uh, down the line on the deuce side. So he did play well, but then, you know, just... I guess for Ernesto... You and I had this debate where, you know, I, I think I was like, I'm out on Ernesto because I watched that first set, and then the next two sets, 7-6-6-3. Six, six, he just <laughs> hits some winners that I don't think any other young guys, you know, or at least young Americans, are capable of hitting, you know, the yeah. pace on the serve, the pace on the forehand. Uh, I mean, where do you
2: stand after this match? What did you think of his performance? I think sometimes he just sacrifices a little bit too much the f- uh, um I think sometimes he just goes a little too big, you know, looking at, you know, we just came off of covering Wimbledon for a while and, you know, we it's tough to compare, you know, this level to that level. But I mean, what really separates them, I think, apart from, you know, maybe physicality is is like accuracy and I could not agree with yeah. And second serve yeah, percentage, right. Jamie and I sure. were just talking yeah. about this, yeah. the second
0: serve percentages were just yeah. atrocious from I, everyone.
2: Yeah, remember, I mean, we were watching, you know, we were watching Dol Djokovic, and I was just commenting on, like, every ball is in the outer third. Like, almost every yeah. ball is in the outer third of the court. And, you and know, we And deep, yeah, exactly, and not to mention heavy. So, you know, we're watching guys like Escobedo, who can hit the ball that hard, but like i said might sacrifice a little bit of that accuracy just for some power and you know i think that probably sets him a bit of a ceiling and also i th- I think his movement isn't isn't great well i think <laughs> which is know, a separate issue but in terms of that trait got the guys we talked about earlier tommy
0: paul the things he does i think at an elite level the movement i think he is physically capable of moving side to side sure, as well yeah. as anyone you know i agree the depth uh not as great from tommy um the accuracy, again, not as great still things. But I think he can develop them, and so that's why I'm not as concerned. For J.C., the thing I was most impressed by, the pace, you know, the depth. He can get balls to the outer third consistently, and mm-hmm. he is constantly, you know, being aggressive and attacking the ball. And I think that mentality is, is a mentality that translates to top 100 level tennis. And so, again, yeah. traits I like to see in them, you know, how comfortable he was on his first serve protecting that serve. Um But then getting back to Ernesto, you make a good point. Uh, You know, the shot selection sometimes is spotty. Although, again, we mentioned it. That's something when you're coming back from injury, uh, it's the toughest thing to adjust to. And I thought with Joyce in particular trying to take balls aggressive, you know, putting Ernesto on the defensive right away, you know, he didn't get a comfortable first ball. He was automatically under attack. And so that definitely hurt his, you know, transition in between points or Mm -hmm. transition to his attacking ground strokes. Uh, But, yeah, just... Too many first ball errors from Ernesto yeah. in this one It's something he's got to clean up if he wants to get back to that level But Jamie, I feel like we've boxed you out uh, What did you see in this match? What Were you, you know, confident? Uh, were you happy with how Ernesto performed? Or was it something where, you know You think Joyce is just a, a particular where it's an extreme case And that's just a unique style for Ernesto to play against?
1: Well, I don't know. I think it's a combination of a lot of things. For for me, when I'm looking at this match, you know, I, I look at someone like Joyce, and it's, it's first of all, it's just, a, it's just a different level of competition. You know, like you said, playing five and six, a lot of six for Ohio State. And, you know, a lot of times you look at his matches, and they're just not competitive. Um, you know, like, for example, I went and watched him play uh, that first round in the Against Kentucky, that was at Ohio State, and like I think it was like zero two or two zero. I don't remember, but it was just like he's. A lot of times, I feel like he just gets caught in playing these matches where you know maybe he's not used to having you know, this different competition, right? And so it's just it's just a very different sort of sort of game where one he doesn't have to have a high shot tolerance because the person on the other side of the net can't get that first or second ball back, yeah. whereas he's now at a level where the person is getting the second, third, fourth, big ball back, and, you know, it's just a, that's a different look. Um, so I think that's something to consider. I think also something to consider for me is, uh, dude, Joyce had a lot of chances in this match. Um, you know, especially even when you look out in the third set, just couldn't close games out. Um, okay, know, but counterpoint to that,
0: I'm, I'm sorry, but counterpoint Joyce's ground strokes are nowhere near the levels. Neither is his movement. Nowhere near the level of Escobedo.
2: Uh, I was gonna. Sure. I was gonna comment sure. on movement too.
0: <laughs> I
1: agree. No, I did. I say they were.
0: Sorry. No, you didn't. I, I'm not I trying to agree. put you on the defensive, but I. Like, so you say Joyce had a lot of chances. I think the match was in Ernesto's hands the entire time. And you look again... I mean, in Ernesto
2: the... Ernesto only capitalized two out of ten break points. Yeah,
0: okay, but in the games he was
2: broken, Ernesto
0: hits four double faults in between those two
2: games. I mean, that's just... Oh, I'm crazy. saying he got broken... Like, he got broken more often than Joyce and no, still won the match.
0: I, so. I, yeah, that, that's yeah. a fair point. But I'm saying in two of the games, Ernesto got broken in of the three. He double faults of a collective four times. That's just... Terrible. You know, yeah, that's sloppy. <laughs> yes. kind of, so yeah. I, I think... It, I think
1: think you're right to say, like, point to point and, like, from the ground. I think uh, definitely, you know, Ernesto has the advantage there. I think it's just, you know, you can see it visually. I think it's kind of obvious. But what I was saying is that there were a lot of times throughout this match where you look at the score in these games, and Joyce has himself some chances, good standing in games. You know, there were a couple times he's up 30 love and loses um, that game, you know, and then he just keeps getting broken, and, you know, then he started double faulting toward the end of the third, and that was really sort of his downfall, you know, Ernesto was able to capitalize on that. Um, so, but no, like I said, I think part of it might just be a different level of competition that he's maybe not always used to when he's playing six at Ohio State. And then a lot of it is, yeah, when you see his game, especially from the ground, stack up against, you know, these level of players. It's just, there's a pretty clear disparity. And so I think that that has a lot to tell um, with the story of this match.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. It's interesting, though, this is another just fun part, fun fart fun fart they definitely mm. leave that in but another fun part from this match I think we just found our episode time <laughs> fun fart or maybe that's a new segment hey great job fun uh,
1: farted with Alex <laughs>
0: it's called me ages 12 to 13 <laughs> Uh, but you talk about, uh, from this match, Ernesto, I think there's a, a let call at 2-0 in the first set tie, or second set tiebreaker, and he freaked out at the line judge. We were watching that together yeah, right later. Yeah. And so again, he lets certain things get under his skin, you know, for the match. he. I gotta served. say, that was kind of funny, honestly. It was <laughs> hilarious. <It's laughs> of what makes Protesting again. a let call. tennis <laughs> is hilarious. You have <laughs> yeah. that, you have Isner fighting technology, still <laughs> my favorite battle of 2018. Just, and so it's incredible. But, but you look at the stats, Ernesto only makes forty six percent of his first serves. You know, that is not going to win you matches against guys who aren't like Joyce, who aren't taking returns early and, you know, rushing the net and being extremely aggressive and so you know, moving forward, he's got to get that percentage up. And again, I think that's just a testament to the gap he's taken between injury and just again, that term match toughness uh, comes to mind in terms of making first serves. But okay, let's move on to our next match. Uh, this is another one of the next-gen players. Again, so fun to see these next-gen guys. And shout-out to this guy because he's one of the first interviews on the Cracked Interviews podcast, Chris Eubanks, who takes out Martin Redlicky, 7575 this is a battle between two, you know, former college standouts, and again, and Martin Redlicky, a guy who our very own Max Fliegner has beaten. So, hey, great shot to you, Max. Uh, but are you snapping for yourself? For myself, please yeah. don't do that ever again. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but you, you talk about this match, and it was big bomb tennis. You know, big servers, guys who weren't gonna, you know, show off much foot speed. There's a lot of just bombs <laughs> everywhere, and so. Not a lot of tactics it's like to talk about. For... A <laughs> euphemism. I don't know. But let's talk about you know what we saw um, from Eubanks. Well, I guess I want to start with this. You know, having gone to the NCA tournament, there were a couple guys who I saw play who just stood out as these guys are pros. These guys have weapons that no one else here possessed. It's just elite talent. And Martin Redlicky was absolutely one of those guys. You know him, Petros... Uh, Gojo, Torpegard, I'm sure there are a couple of Nuno, uh, just, they were a cut above everyone else, and yet, in this match, you know, Eubanks was just a cut above Red Lucky in terms of being the better big-serving, big-returning player, and so, I guess my, my first question to, uh, we'll, we'll go to you, Max, because, you know, you know Martin a I'll little bit, it. I'll what is the difference, you know, between a guy like Eubanks, who, you know, big server, and a guy like Red Lakey? What was the difference in this match? Because their games are so similar.
2: Yeah, I mean, the margins are obviously really thin. You know, you look at seven, 7-5, five, seven, five, uh, You know, you see guys like Isner uh, having matches We that should are... call
0: this match Isner or Anderson White. <laughs> That's, yeah, I it's
2: like high that. praise. I like it. Yeah, it is high praise. But Can um, be the title I, I don't, don't know what farts with <laughs> Alex? <laughs> <laughs> um where was I going with that? Well, yeah, I mean, the margins are super thin, and... Pause. Yeah. The margins are really thin, and... I mean, it's... It really... I know it's I know it's cliche, but it comes down to a few points here and there, and really, who can sort of trust their games in the big moments? Because they, they both know that their game in the big moments is going to be coming up with clutch serves, and, you know, clutch forehands, and, you know, Eubanks was able to do it on the day, but I'd say, like you had like them play 10 matches i i really think it would go five and five because because like you said their games are so similar they really don't move very well i mean i personally i think watching red licky move is sort of comical (laughs) (laughs) yeah um but he's got a massive forehand and the serve speaks for itself yeah, you know, and, so. and I
0: think he's comfortable moving forward. I think he, like you said, the forehand is big. He can hit the serve in various locations, put pressure on the Eubanks one-hander. Yeah. And
2: he's not afraid. He's not afraid to go it's for very it. very true. Definitely goes after He's the not afraid, and I respect that because that's what it takes.
0: Yeah, and you look at but some of the percentages from this match—they're comical. Eubanks makes seventy-eight percent of his first serves—an incredible number for a guy like Eubanks, who's you know six-five, six-six. Dude, how about Red League having teams. zero break points? Well, that's—that's uh, that's, yeah. I was going to get to that, but you know, you look at the win percentage. First serve, he wins eighty-eight percent of his first serve points, going thirty-seven of forty-two. Even more ridiculous, eleven of twelve on second serve points wins 92% of those. The guy drops 13 points on serve. Jamie is trying to say that that stat cannot be correct <laughs> on our shared outline, but you're wrong. It is correct. I'm telling you, I, it's unbelievable how comfortable Eubanks was on serving this match and you know, played such smart serve plus one tennis. And you know, Red Licky, again, because of the movement, if you can get him stretched a little bit on the return, you have a lot of court to work with. But still, you, Eubanks stayed on top of the baseline. It's amazing some of the digs he has with his one-handed backhand and then he's able to drive them flat and with peace. yeah
2: he takes it super early which is really impressive yeah, you know, like he, I've watched him take a lot of backhands on the rise. You know, not just early, but like actually on the well, rise. Well, I think he's not know? a
0: bad mover, but he's not a
2: good mover. Right, so but he does well baseline. He does exactly what. What I was going to say is he does well to compensate for that. So, yeah. You know, which I don't think Martin does as well. Yeah, Martin was you know, more.
0: I, you know, I think Martin
2: like Eubanks like, obviously recognizes that weakness and uses the and, like cuts off angles really well. This is an interesting
0: term. But I think Martin's a closet grinder. I think he, low key when he was younger, Michael, his older brother, would be the one slapping winners and he'd just be the one retrieving and you could tell he liked playing a retrieving guys with the forehand. No, right. no, no. He knows I'm got Not gonna to be sanctimonious, but no, I, I played him. No, he's look, not a grinder. No, look. He, again, he loses 92% of Eubanks' second serve points. I'm not saying he had success, but it looked like he didn't mind playing six feet behind the baseline. It looked like he was well, enjoying he himself. Should. He should mind it. <laughs> You're maybe right. And again, you know, Jamie looking at this match, you know, you have two breaks in this match. Both come at five all in the first set er um, in the first and second sets, respectfully. Again, Red Licky has no breakpoint opportunities. Um, what did you see from Eubanks that you think will translate, you know, not only against a guy like Red Licky, who's not the best mover, but just in general, you know, when he's trying to protect his serve against guys who might be able to do a little bit more damage with their returns?
1: Well, I think something that's a big positive for him is just like this general sort of, uh, what would you say, I guess template for like big man tennis that he's got to look up to right now. Um, You know, whether or not I enjoy watching it, which for the record, I don't. I'm pretty (laughs) pretty sure I've made that clear in every way possible.
0: You know, just on that point, I I was watching highlights of this match with Fligner and his exact response was the same thing. as, oh, I guess this is just the future of the game. Big man tennis.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of sad. I hope it's not. I hope I'm wrong there. Um, and, and that's a little unfair because, you know, there were some, you know, really nice ground strokes that Eubanks uh, comes up with in this, this match, and, you know, especially a couple of one-handed backhand passes are, you know, just sexy to look at, which is nice. Um, but, you know, for me, it's less about the serve just because of its you know, like expectation with a guy like Eubanks, you know, he's expected to have that serve, it's expected to be solid, you know, he's bombing down, you know, he's making a high percentage of them that's phenomenal for me is really the, the fact that he has 11 breakpoint opportunities. And for, for a guy that's, quote, you know, looking up to big man tennis, um, you know, that's a really big deal to be able, you know, no matter who you're playing against, to be able to get into those return games and get that many opportunities. You know, granted, he converts two of 11, but still, I mean, that's a big deal for me to be able to see that sort of mentality of not just, you know, the isner giving up return games because he can. You know, I like the fact that he's getting himself those opportunities and, you know, making a point to get – you know, put so much pressure on the the other server. I don't know. I think that's a that's a real good take listen. i
0: I think on that point, one thing Eubanks did really well in this match, even against a guy with a serve as big as Red Lakey's, you know, Red Lakey's really struggled on his second serve, winning only 46% of those points. Because again, Eubanks is on top of the baseline. He's taking returns early. He understands he needs to play aggressive tennis, you know, to win matches. He needs to be in control on top of the baseline. And so he goes after his shots, regardless of his unforced error count. And, you know, that is a winning mentality. Having the confidence to go after your shots, no matter the situation, is something that translates well, you know, no matter the level of the tour. So it's exciting to see, um, you know, I think the game that comes to mind that really, if I was to encapsulate this match in one game, it was the first game of the match. And Eubank started it by hitting four straight aces, and that was really the you know the theme. is a lot of big serves, a lot of serve plus ones, and so you know if you're into that, you lo- you'll love these highlights. If not, you know maybe you watch our next match instead. You, which is in fact how we're going to get into our next match. What a natural transition! In our next match, we have a battle of grinder. Oh, I don't know if Marcos Giron is a grinder, but we have Mitchell Kruger, who definitely is a grinder taking out former NCAA champion and UCLA player Marcos Girone, 4'6", 6'1", 6'2". Uh, this will be the last first-round match we break down, uh, But so I'll start with you, Jamie. Um, you know, Girone, I feel like he's one of the most unhaired— I mean, I, look, I follow his game, but this guy's a former NCAA singles champion. You know, for really high level of tennis I've seen out of him. I've seen him play some incredible matches, and in the first set of this match— all of his shot-making prowess was in, on display. This guy can, you know, rip winners from any part of the court.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, especially when you're going up with, you know, against someone like Kruger who has a game where, you know, he's going to give you opportunities just in the sense that, you know, he's not going to try and end points, right? He's going to play solid. He's going to grind you down or at least try to. And so, um, you know, I think you see that is just, like, the ability to hit through that sort of style of play was really impressive. Um, and so yeah you see the weapons shine through especially against someone who's you know solid backboard but you know uh, that, that that that's the storyline of the first set um, the match really switches pace from there and i don't know gosh i don't know about you but, like what did you see at least from the switch from the first to the second and third set
0: well i i just think it's a testament to kruger's relentless just I don't want to say relentless aggression, just it, it's his relentless tenacity. The guy just grinds out matches side to side, you know. It's very obvious Mitchell Kruger's forehand is worse than his backhand, just his severe Western grip, the fact that he's not able to generate as much pace automatically with that forehand as, as easily as he is with the backhand, and so people know what side to pick on. But it doesn't matter. He has the counter. He's so comfortable going heavy topspin, you know, almost a lob-esque shot down the line with the forehand. You know the one Ed Nagel would always, pit, you know, teach <laughs> Max the defensive forehand up the line. I'm, I'm not sure. I think I described that right. Yeah,
2: no, it's not invalid. Yeah,
0: and so and then you know, then the obvious shot is you're going to want to go to his backhand cross court because it's the open court and he moves well enough to cover it every time. And so I just think in that first set. Giron really wristy ground strokes, almost slaps at the ball every time, and you know he can make some incredible shots, and he can rip balls from on top of the baseline that are just ridiculous. But I just think Kruger wore him down. I think you know it's hard to play that style of shot making tennis when the guy is just tracking down everything. He's hitting Jamie McDonald-esque forehand slices on the stretch to get the point back to neutral, and just I, I don't. I just thought Kruger was so physical in this match, and in the end, it was good enough.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I absolutely agree, and I, I think it's it's just interesting to see such a, like, sharp turnaround like that, you know, especially when you look at, you know, some of the things from this, uh, just like, I don't know, you look at the break points, and you look at a lot of things in the stats, and you're like, ooh, without seeing the score, you're like, ooh, you know, this was probably really tight, and really the only close set was 6-4, and then after that it was 1-2. Well, uh, I think so it's just interesting. Well,
0: I think there was another, you know, you talk about the stats, First serve percentage: Kruger fifty-five percent, Giron sixty-two percent. Neither elite. Again, it's a significant drop down from Wimbledon. Uh, first serve points one: Kruger sixty-five, Giron fifty-nine. Okay. Uh, second serve points one: Kruger sixty-one percent, which is very good, but Giron forty-four percent. Again, that's where you see the gap between these two. Uh, break points five of eighteen: Kruger, Giron two of eleven. Uh, but the big moment for me in this match, you know, that first three games of the second set took about you know 30 minutes in total which is just a lot for three games of tennis kruger went you know after getting a break of giron kruger went down love 40 hit two incredible winners where giron was on the ad side uh trying to you know run around the backhand and kruger caught him and he went down the line and you know he makes first serves in those moments in the big moments and i think when kruger got that 3-0 break he pulled away in that second set and then in the end i just think giron saw what an uphill battle it would be and he wasn't able to muster that effort and so yeah, it was it was a huge effort from Kruger, a guy who in the live rankings again two twelve versus Girones four forty six. But you know, in terms of first round matches, all of these five matches we've talked about, this to me was the highest level of play. What do you think about that, Jamie?
1: I agree. I think you see I think you saw a lot of quality points, and I think basically what you saw in the second two sets, you know, that I think about it a little more, is like there were quality points, but you know Kruger was making him prove when he was going to hit a winner or not. And you know when when Push came to shove, there he wasn't able to you know hit through him and you know come on, come out on the top like he was in the first set. And so I think that's probably the the biggest sort of difference I like can point to between you know I guess that turning point from the four six to then the 6-1-6-2. Six, six,
2: yeah,
0: absolutely, but. You know, okay, let let's move on. Uh just some other notable results from this first round. You had the number four seed, Jason Jones, taking out another former NCAA singles champion and Ty Kwiatkowski, 6'3, 6'4. Uh you had former UVA player Colin Altamorano taking out Austin Krachak, a former A&M guy, 7575. Again, Aragoni, Kwiatkowski, Altamirano. We're all on the same Virginia roster. Just ridiculous. Uh, you had Darren King taking out Donald Young six three five seven six one. At this point in the year, after this loss, you know, as of now, Young has won his first round match in Atlanta over Karlovich. But Young was four and fourteen on the season at that point. Just a, uh, <laughs> poor Donald Young. Twenty eighteen has not been kind to him. Uh, you had Tom Jambi taking out the six-seed, Riley Opelka, 4-2. Opelka was just shameful. It was not a good performance from Riley, but hopefully we'll see him bounce back throughout the summer. You had Stanford graduate Tom Foster taking out Carousel, three six six four seven six. Cell a guy who's been on the Crack Interviews podcast, so shout-out to him. And then you had a Michigan guy, Evan King, taking out a Florida State player guy, Arinda Kunda, seven five six two. So just the point of listing these other notable results so many great college tennis players and American tennis players and just guys who you have seen if you have followed the game closely and if you've been following this podcast. And so it is so fun to see all these guys back on tour again, getting all these great matches in, matching up against one another. It's been some high quality tennis, but all right, on that, let's move on to our second round. Uh, we have, again, number four seed Jason Jung taking out Chris Eubanks, six three six seven six four. 6'7", 6'4". Um, I guess the biggest difference in this match and where I want to start is Jason Jung was not Martin Redlakey. The jump in level for Eubanks was, you know, his opponent was just massive. Jung's a guy who's going to make as many returns as possible. Just get the ball back to neutral and force Eubanks to make an additional second, third, fourth shot. And, you know, I think for the first time in terms of when you're looking at Eubanks' it game transitioning to you know the ATP Tour level and what's not there yet, I think the backhand to me, Fliedner. We we talked about this a little. I don't think it's there yet. I think Jung, you know, every time he had a second serve, I'm going to the backhand because I'm not afraid of what Eubanks can do with it. And yeah, you know, Eubanks takes a set in this match, and Jung only gets three. He goes three of five on break points versus Eubanks, 0 of one, and you know, not not the biggest of margins in this match. But still, do you think that Eubanks backhand is ready for the ATP tour, or do you think
2: it needs a little more development? Well. Who's to say? I yeah, mean, I mean of course You I, know, you look at a guy like Isner whose ground strokes are just abysmal and fair point. And yet, you know, here he is, like at the top of the American game at least and so yeah, I mean, I don't think it's ATP ready, but the I think maybe a better question is can he compensate for it sufficiently? But um no, I don't think no, it's not Well, ATP I think he
0: does ready. a good job protecting it with a forehand. He is always looking to That's run what I, yeah, no,
2: that's what I'm saying, but like the question becomes, are you ATP-ready if you can compensate for something, or are you ATP-ready if you can do everything well?
0: That's fair. And as you mentioned, with his serve, with his ability to play serve plus one tennis, he's going to be in a lot of matches just because sure. he holds serve. Yeah, yeah. Again, in this match, he takes it to a third set, and you know he gets broken at the end of the first set. So really, it's one break in the first mm-hmm. and third sets for Jung. Um, you know, I, I guess, again, to you, Jamie, when you're looking at Eubank's game— uh, what, what was more you know, exposed in this match that wasn't really available for us to see in the matchup versus Red Lakey?
1: I think it's his movement, especially off-the-ground strokes. Uh, you know, like you said, he, he just wasn't given free points in this match, whereas you know, maybe in the previous round he would have been given free points on some of these. And so I think what was exposed is you know, the ability to move around the court and hit two, three, four more balls. I think that was sort of, and and don't get me wrong, this was still obviously a close match, um, and good competition, but very obvious that he is not up to that, you know, ATP top 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 tier standard of you know mobility, and you know, especially even for big man tennis, like we talked about, um, he's got he's got to have that mobility be more of an upside for
0: me. I don't know. That's my main thing. I no, do. I completely agree. You talk about the stat that stands out the most. Again, ninety two percent of his second serve points won by Eubanks against Red Licky in this match, he only wins forty five percent. You know, that's a dose of reality. You know, welcome back to the yeah. real world. And yeah, his uh his double fault count in this match, a little bit higher. He only you know, he ends up with ten double faults against sixteen aces. Not a terrible ratio, but yeah, in terms of Eubanks, it's not you know, love the fact that he's on top of the baseline, love the fact that he is so aggressive. But there has to be a middle ground, you know. I still think he needs to develop a backhand slice, particularly because he has a one-handed backhand. Uh, again, Jung was able to get balls to his second serve, to that backhand, and. You know, against Red Licky, he was able to pop some winners, but then Jung hits a little bit more of a kick serve, and it, it was tougher for Chris. I also thought Jung did a good job staying on top of the baseline himself, taking time away from Eubanks, particularly on the return. He attacked the Eubanks serve early and took time away from Chris, didn't let him run around that backhand and hit an inside-in forehand, a shot he's so good at. So yeah, there are definitely still things to develop. I do agree with you guys. I think Eubanks has the ATP skills, and I think it's just a matter of time. So he's a guy who's upside. I continued continue to be higher and higher on. I just think, you know, given the weapons, given the way the game is going... He, you know, he could definitely make some jumps, you know, as as soon as this summer. But okay, let's move on to my favorite match of the tournament. It was two really good sets of tennis, and then the third was a bit of disappointment. But still, I think these two sets were the highest level of tennis I saw in this entire Challenger event. That's Mitchell Kruger's second-round win over J.C. Aragoni 7-6, 4-6, 6-0. Uh, again, we've talked about these guys a lot, so let's, let's talk more about what we saw in this match. Um... I mean, so for Kruger, again, it's clear he doesn't have a definitive weapon other than his speed, other than his fitness. But man, the way him and Aragoni were going side to side, you know, both guys, Kruger goes down the line with the forehand. Aragoni goes huge cross court with a backhand. And Kruger tracks it down and they're just playing cat and mouse. And, you know, uh, Jamie, tell me why these guys couldn't make a Mackie McDonald-esque jump into the top 100 sometime soon. Ooh, why they can? All right. Can or can't. Ooh. Oh, can or can't.
1: All right. Uh, ooh, The timeline is a little messy on that. For me, I wouldn't say soon unless they get just gifted a portion of the draw. Uh, that's just my take on it. I, I mean,
0: Aragoni ma- like, made the U.S. Open main draw last year.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, like, if they get, like, a nice draw. Oh, okay. Mackie's like, okay. draw in this most recent it was pretty nice. Like, it, it was a very big deal for him to get to the second week, but... If you look against the people he played against, it wasn't like he was beating, you know, the best of the best. Anyway, regardless of that. No, but I guess
0: uh, you know, not in terms of you know a fourth round appearance, but why couldn't they be top one hundred like Mackie is now? I think they play similar levels. I think,
1: yeah, I, I think I think they could, and you know, it, it's tough sort of talking about you know Kruger and Aragoni in the same uh, sort of breath, just because there are differences in their game style. Um, I sure. feel like. Aragoni has more room to move up into that, maybe a little more uh, quickly, even though he loses this match. I, I feel like we, we talked about this earlier when we were talking about him in previous matches, but you know, it's the upside of the weapons that he possesses. Um, and so if he's able to rein those in and, like we said, build some more shot tolerance with those, I feel like we have him moving more, uh, more of an upward path, at least in, in sort of a ish timeline, whereas Kruger, yeah, he wins this match and he's relentless, and you know, I think he could have some success, but at the end of the day, you know, especially like you talked about on that forehand side, it it might not be quite up to par um, for that top 100 ATP level. I don't
0: know. No, I I think those are all fair points. You look at the stats from this match, Kruger, only 59% of his first serves go in, and again, he protects it well, 71%, and it does a good job, again, on the second serve, 66%. So, you know, if it is a quality second serve. I think he hits his spots yeah. well. Um, so, again, a really well-rounded game, but no definitive weapon. Uh, moves in smartly. I think in the end he, again, just outlasts Aragoni, who just kind of ran out of steam in that third set. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, I, I don't think you make a bad point. Aragoni has weapons that will always keep him in matches versus Kruger, who's going to have to stay so physically fit and, you know, so focused throughout a two-out-of-three-set match. Um, It'd be interesting to see how Kruger's game translates to the 3 out of 5, so hopefully he makes, you know, qualifies for the US Open or makes a run in these challengers and gets a wild card, because it would be cool to see him match up against those guys. Um, But yeah, a really physical match from both of these guys, Uh, really high level of tennis. If you're going to watch any highlight, I would recommend this one the most, and what it really comes down to, again... Kruger just a little bit more physical. But I do want to give a shout-out to Aragoni because he hits a tweener-winner lob on a break point in this match to break back for 4-all in the first set. Uh, probably the best shot I've seen all year, and you know I've seen a lot of tennis. So really incredible from him. Such an entertaining player, even though he goes out in the second round. I think it has to be a positive result for him just to see how high his level has already gotten in. He's a guy I'm definitely going to be watching throughout the rest of this summer. But okay, let's move on and just before we get to our last match in the quarterfinals, I want to list some other notable results. Tommy Paul bounces back from his three-set win over Smicek to just really destroy Evan King 6-1, 6-2. In this match, some funny stats. King goes 0-0 for on break points. (laughs) 5 of 29 on second serves. 26%. That's just... Yeah, yeah, you are not winning a match in that case. Um, You know, Ernesto Escobedo gets crushed by our eventual challenger champion, Evgeny Karlovsky, whose game we're not going to break down, but still he pops Escobedo 2-1. Uh, you know, all those concerns I had in the Joyce match were kind of exacerbated in this match. It was just worst-case scenario for Ernesto. And then you had Tom Jombi, a guy who's been out with injury, a guy who played in at Kentucky, knocking out Fawcett, 1 2 2-6, 6-4. So it's just, again... So many fun matches, anything you want if you're a fan of SEC tennis, Pac-12 tennis, you know, ACC tennis, there's a guy for you to watch. So if you like college tennis, definitely check out the Challenger Tour. Um, but okay, let's do our last match breakdown. And even though it's a quarterfinal match, we're going to stop here because this is really our last All-American focus that we want to do. This is Colin Altamirano, 6-4, 6-4 win over Mitchell Kruger. Uh, we've talked about Kruger a lot, so let's focus on Altamirano here. Uh, Jamie, you know, I, I don't want to stack up the comparison, but I guess, you know, you talk about Altamirano versus Aragoni, two guys who played at Virginia, two guys too easy to compare for this podcast, so we have to do it. You know, what did Altamirano do in this match that allowed him to have success versus where Aragoni fell short?
1: Like I said, I think it was just the ability to make, you know, that next shot. Uh, for me, there were, there were too many times where Aragoni just, you know, went for it. And, you know, yeah, yeah, right. He has that weapon. If he can hunt it in, it's huge. But, um, you know, sometimes he goes for it a little too much, has too many unforced errors. And like you said, it's unfortunate we don't have the un, uh, unforced error counts uh, to the T on these. But for me, this is just a battle of two people who can clearly grind out matches. Um, and, you know, it's funny to watch them side by side, too, because they both have a little funky technique thing. Like you just watch their strokes, they're just—it's just sort of an unnatural stroke production from both sides. The Altarado uh,
0: forehand is disgusting. Oh yeah, it's hard to watch. It is hard to watch. That is so it's true. Serve though,
1: in my opinion, it—it it, it looks so.
0: Uh, and his know. backhand is literally a two-handed chop. It's as though he draws the sword like it's a samurai blade. Like he's, you know. The Bakugan. I or cool whatever. The, the the Batsujitsu. I don't know. Whatever my it, it's, a, <laughs> that it's work? a no, it's a tsunami show. Uh, I, I forget oh, what no, it's called. I'm, it. I'm not that much of a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> but nevertheless, yeah, I, not the most aesthetically pleasing game. Um but no. but Altamirano is a grinder, man. He tracks down yeah. everything. Yep. And what no, did, you think, Netflix, did you think Netflix did you think didn't one in this match. But did you think his inside in fore I mean he's a guy who seeks out the forehand and it's not that his backhand's bad, it's just He really loves moving the ball around with his forehand, loves hitting high loopy balls. You know, I I just don't think any of Kruger's patterns really did anything against Altamirano to hurt him. Uh, But you think about that forehand, you think Altamirano's forehand translates well?
1: Translates well, seeming to like a higher stage? Yeah,
0: like if, you know, if he's playing a guy, not like a Kruger, but a guy like a Eubanks who will bring a little more pace, do you think he can hold up under that pace?
1: I mean, I think at this level, I think, yes, because, you know, it, it's able to withstand, you know, maybe one or two big shots. But, you know, once he gets to a level where people are just normally expected to hit that many big shots over and over and over, you know, to, to a stroke that has sort of unorthodox and, you know, unnatural production, I don't know if it's going to hold up to that level. Um, and, I, and I think in this tournament he proved, at least to some degree, it's able to hold up to some, you know, to some level, right? But whether that's gonna be able to translate to the next step, uh, that's kind of another
0: question. When you watch these challenger guys, it's not even as much about looking for their definitive, you know, all of these guys have weapons. At some point, they were really good at tennis. But the biggest thing is, you know, a definitive weakness. Is there something that you can tell will clearly hold them back? Again, the reason I'm so high on a guy like Tommy Paul, I don't think there's any definitive weakness. I think, yeah, his shot selection's a little spotty, but all of the tools are there. You know, same thing when you're talking about a guy like JC Aragone. Yes, the consistency isn't one hundred percent there, but the serve, you know, the the explosiveness, the movement. He checks off a lot of boxes. And then, you know, you talk about a guy like I guess an Altamirano or a Kruger and you see these definitive weaknesses and you just know under the constant pressure that these top one hundred players are able to put on their opponents, it will be hard for their games to translate and I don't know what I don't know how I feel about El because or Kruger even because they're both so solid. And I, I guess even a guy like Eubanks, I'll throw him in this conversation just because, you know, I get a little worried that he can get jammed on the backhand and that, you know, he's not the best mover. Uh but that definitive weapon is so strong, so that's, you know, why he's in an interesting category. Um I don't know where I stand on Altamirano. I, I love his mentality. I love the way he plays aggressively, really tries to move the ball around side to side, will never really hit a ball in the same place for two shots in a row. Uh, I I will be interested to see how his game holds up because this is his first year, you know full year on the Pro Tour. Uh, he's up to number 369 in the live ranking, so he's in that range where he should be playing a lot of challengers now. Uh, If he can have some success, who knows? He's he's another guy, you know. And I've been watching these Virginia guys forever, so of course I'm going to still be watching. But him, Aragoni, you know, I think they're both guys who could do a little bit of damage this summer. Will be fun to watch.
1: Yeah, and just real quick to throw this in here, I think one thing that at least for me this match highlights is the difference between this level and the next level up, because. You know, I understand, you know, it's a different stylistic matchup where you have two people who can grind for days And so, you know, naturally the the break count might be a little higher and stuff like that But just a general theme throughout this tournament and was especially shown I guess in this match is just like The fact that it's at least in these matches, it's always going to take multiple breaks to win a set And that's not something we're used to always seeing especially, you know We're in French Open level and US Open season when we're watching these pros Especially in the deeper realms, you know, a lot of times, a break is sort of a death sentence. And in, the, in these cases, I mean, I guess you can look at it as a positive thing where, okay, you never have a match, but at the end of the day, you can't expect to let up the breaks that you get and still win the matches if you're going to move into that next level of tennis.
0: No, I completely agree. And just to you know, go through the rest of the results from this tournament, Jung takes out the 8-seed Safwad in the quarterfinals, six two three six six three. Dane Kelly takes out Tommy Paul, one six seven six six two. Again, it's the curse of 6-1. And Karlovsky takes out John 3-6, 6-4, uh, you know, Jung then takes out Altamirano, 2-2 two and two in the semis. Karlovsky takes out Kelly, 4-2. Karlovsky takes out Jung, 6-3, six, 6-3 three, six, three, to win the event. Uh, so a lot of good tennis. But, you know, getting back to those thoughts, Jamie, looking at the big picture, and uh, this is a question for both you and Max, but we'll start with you, Jamie. Uh, in terms of the level of play you saw from certain players in this event, uh, were there any players you see... Or were there any players you saw... That you think can make the second round, the third round, maybe even the fourth round of a Grand Slam in the next, let's say, calendar year. So you know, including Oof. this year, you this year's U.S. Open and next year's as well. Was there I any guys? you going put
1: could a say? timeline on me, damn it. Well, look, it <laughs> wouldn't
0: be a fun question if there wasn't a timeline.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's quite sure. Um, I I still have hope for Tommy Paul. I really hope he's able to get a, you know, get a solid putting in some of these draws because I think he does have the game that can translate to that next level. Now, whether it's just staying physically well or, you know, getting you know mentally past that roadblock or past that obstacle to get to the next level, I don't know. But his game, it, it, it looks like it can be at the next level. Whereas some of these guys, you look at it and you're like, okay, yeah, you're a good college player and you're good on the Challenger Tour, but, you know, you don't – you might not have what it takes to the next level. Um, he's one of the ones I want to watch for. and So, yeah, he's going to be my hopeful pick that he'll make a run at some point. Um, And for me, I think the big differentiator here is, you know, you can sort of categorize the guys. We've already talked this through a couple times now, but the players who have, you know, definitive weapons and those who don't. And that's not to say that grinders can't go out there and, you know, make a decent run. But uh, the people who I think are going to make the biggest impact, at least in the short term for now, before those weapons develop, maybe for those other guys, are the ones who already have definitive weapons. Um, And so, yeah, maybe that's Eubanks with big man tennis, if he's able to get some mobility. I don't know how it'll work on, you know, hardcore. You know, maybe he's having more chance on grass. You know, you don't know. Um, Well, look, it's
0: hard, and you you want to keep in mind sample size. This is one tournament of a long tennis season, and, of course, some matchups are particularly bad for certain people. Some guys are just going to be hot, so you don't want to take too much away. And, of course, I'm not trying to do that, but I'm just saying, you know, you again, Watching as much tennis as the three of us do, you can tell the guys who have it and the yeah. guys who might be a little bit short. And so, you know, I, I, I guess I didn't mean to cut you off, but, and, you know, Fliegner, in terms of what he's saying, is there anyone else to you besides Tommy Paul? Is there anything you'd want to add?
2: I mean, I would add that Mitchell Kruger probably has one of the most complete games in this tournament. You I'm know, so if glad if you gonna, say that. Look, yeah. I'm the biggest Mitchell Kruger yeah, fan. I mean, as
0: someone who does not have a good forehand and <laughs> prides themselves on their fitness and back Look who you're I'm, talking to. You
2: pride yourself on your fitness and back. Yeah, fitness. Yeah, I thought you were talking about yourself. Yeah, I am talking about. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> there you go. Hey, great chat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, sorry. Where where are we going with that? Um, I mean, we have this phenomenon of you know big man tennis going on right now, and it's becoming it's becoming even bigger. Um, no pun intended. But it really it's it's kind of weird, honestly. And Jamie was alluding to this earlier, and this is sort of the direction the game's going in. Where you've got guys who are over six two, over six three, um, who kind of feel like it's sufficient to just have a big serve, a big forehand, maybe you know get it to a tiebreaker and and take your chances there. Started with Isner, but now we've got guys like Anderson, you know. I mean, Carl obviously Carl, which is an older guy, but and then yeah, I mean, Redlicki, Eubanks, you know, these younger guys, and so I don't, I don't really like that trend, so I'm yeah. not inclined to put faith in. A player like that so you know for that reason I would have to go with probably yeah Mitchell Kruger or, or Tommy Paul I would love to be able to get behind guys who can do it all and don't have a silly height advantage that you know to the point where they can sort of neglect like a, a third of their game and still kind of get away with it you know I'm, I mean it's not, no disrespect to them but it's just like it. it's A as Jamie said earlier it's not fun to watch and B I just don't really think it uh, it furthers the game of tennis so to speak you know, no, I, not to I, sound pretentious, but no, 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 no.
0: That's that's totally fair. I think that's a separate argument. Um, I guess Jamie, what what do you think about that?
1: I agree, and you know, uh, like I was, you know, sort of talking about at the end of that when I was talking about Tommy Paul and maybe Eubanks, like, like I said, I don't, I might not like it. Well, not might, I definitely don't like it. <laughs> uh, but I think, I think when you look at a game like Eubanks, you see that maybe if he has a little bit more time to develop the mobility, you know, he has the sort of solidified serve already. And so that gives him a huge leg up to, you know, make a run in one of these draws if he's able to, you know, get in and have a a solid footing in one of those. Um, And so I think he has the upside to, you know, have a a career and get up into the top 100 and make some noise there. Um, You know, do I like it? No, and I think we've covered that. Um, But I think you do kind of have to respect it. And I I don't know if I'd say that, like, well, maybe it is. We'll see. But I I hope that the game is not totally going in its direction, you know. I hope maybe there's, yeah, one or two players who are, you know, seven five who come in and can play like that. But for the most part, I hope that, you know, the ground strokes stay important to the game.
0: Let's put it that way. No, to- I, I completely agree with you. You know, just to summarize, I agree. Paul, you know, Eubanks in terms of the Americans in this event, and Kruger yeah. really stood out as a class above, you know, all the other guys entered. Although Opelka just really did play just a rough first-round match, so don't sleep on him as well again. It's only one tournament. But yeah, uh, just on this theme of American prospects, American players, uh, I want to use that to get into our last segment of the show. It's everyone's favorite segment. So, Fligner, if you could cue the drum roll, please. It's time for this week's Changeover Chat.
2: The Changeover Chat. You know, no, Rothman's not here to do it. Uh, no, I
0: I'm really glad you jumped in. I was afraid you were going to forget. Is what I was going to say. Oh, so yeah. I'm really? How happy. Did I forgot. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate that. But okay, we're going to do two things in this changeover chat. I want to give an update on our next gen rankings, and then we'll end with a conversation about the confirmed labor cup rosters. But let's have a good old fashioned debate. Let's you know, let's do this. So, you know, you talk about the current next gen Americans and. I'm listing those as guys who were born, you know, around my year or after, so that's 1995 or later. And there are a lot of next gen guys hovering in that top 250. You've got 11 guys, and we'll go from the bottom to the top. Uh, you had Tommy Paul now at 249. Stefan Kozlov is taking a drop down to 247. You know, I'm devastated. Oh, uh, you about are, that. aren't you? Chris Eubanks 228. Ernesto Escobedo was in the top 100 now 190. Noah Rubin, career high 157. Sneaky year from Noah Rubin. I believe he just got a win in the Atlanta first round as well over Kokonakis. So, anytime you can take out the cock, that's a good thing. Uh, Can I quote you on that? (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad you got the pun. Riley Opelko, 152. Michael Moe, 120. And then you have the guys in the top 100 Mackie McDonald, 78. Taylor Fritz, 60. Jared Donaldson, 57, who Fliegner's beaten. Francis Tiafo, number 40, career high, who Fliegner's beaten. You know, hey, great shot to you, here. But I guess, so what, what I want to ask you guys, and I want to start with you, Jamie, you're talking about breaking down those 11 guys, the 11 who have clearly, you know, distinguished themselves as the young Americans to watch if you're a fan of American tennis, or at least the American male players to watch. Um, give me your top five in terms of their current form, in terms of this summer, the five guys you expect to do the most damage on tour.
1: Okay, well, um, I think that the top four, you know, the TFO, Donaldson, Fritz, and Mackey, I think those are solidified as your top four. Uh, I think that's pretty fair. Just because of
0: how they're ranked? Just they're going to get into events?
1: Yeah, I think that's part of it, too. And so they'll have more opportunities to get there in the first place. And then on top of that, you know, I think they're... pretty good form and so you know they've had their handful of good results and you know especially mackie coming into the second week that's a big deal and so um i think those are your top four as far as the fifth that i would pick for like for soon mm,
0: i know it's tough so i just on your pause i'm going to capitalize on it these top four guys really have distinguished themselves whether it's tiafoe
1: there's a line between them
0: yeah. and the followers. Yeah, I mean, they've all won matches at Grand Slams this year. They're guys you've seen in ATP main draws throughout the wow. year. Uh You know, they're all just so solid. Hard, you know, for Fritz and Donaldson, the movement is still tough for them, but still they have such weapons. They're able to, you know, for Fritz in particular, the way he protects his serve. And then for Tiaf and McDonald, you've got two world class athletes, guys who are just so solid side to side, who put so many balls in play and put their p- opponents in tough positions. Um, for me, the the fifth guy on this list, the guy you just have to look at because physically he's right there with them is Michael Moe. And yeah, of course that's the cop out answer because Moe's fifth in terms of ranking right now. But you know, you saw him earlier this year make an ATP quarterfinal. You know, I've seen him make main draws of the U.S. Open. He won Kalamazoo a few years back and got a wild card. He is physically, you know, he should be seated in U.S. Open qualifying. He's physically able to hang with any guy on tour right now, and I just think, you know hardcore tennis for him when he's able to hang behind the baseline that's when he plays his best tennis so you know Opelka the big server yeah he could get hot he's fun to watch but I just think in terms of you know the things we talked about of guys who have ATP skills already for Michael Moe it's yeah he's a little bit passive on the court but you know he's not going to really beat himself and so that's a characteristic again where I think it's just a cut a little bit above the rest of them.
1: I think that's fair. I agree. I mean that, and that, yeah. I mean, that pretty much went exactly what I was saying. And you know, like you said, there is a clear division. But you know, that's that's your guy who pops into the fifth spot. I think that's fair.
0: Yeah, and then just you know to change the conversation in terms of upside, you're looking, you know, five years from now, which of these guys is ranked the highest? Uh, What would be your top five? Just from what you've seen, what you've seen developing? Just give me a quick speculation. Let's have a fun debate.
1: Me again? All
0: right. Um, yeah, Flitner's checked think... out. Flitner's back on Neil deGrasse. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, fair
1: enough. All right. Um, I think you keep the top four, and then I'm still going to throw my faith in Tommy Paul up there.
0: Wow, you're sticking with it? You just think the, remember, the athleticism... Before, remember I last summer?
1: Watching his game. I, I can't stray away from that. I like watching his game, so I got it. I, I think you just think house
0: he's house. handsome. And he is handsome, yeah, too. I mean, he's his he's not wrong.
1: But, absolute stuff.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean... It's not a bad gamble. Flickner, what do you
2: think? Your top five in five years. Well, you uh, I mean apart from these four? Because it's so you think obvious. for sure they'll be in the top. Five yeah, six. I mean, it really, it's like who's competing for fifth here?
0: Well, what about yeah. Opelka?
2: You don't think Opelka's no, no, big no, no, serve can propel no, no, him? No, no, no.
0: Given the success we've seen Dude, from your Inter- Dude, did you hear my?
2: Did you hear my rant five minutes ago about yeah, big boy tennis?
0: I, exactly. If anything, that should yeah. pro, that should you know propel the idea of <laughs> Opelka being good. If any, you know,
2: so I, nah. I a guy, or Eubanks,
0: or Escobedo. Who Dude, is I,
2: this? I I yeah. I think Escobedo could be number five on this list because. He, you know, he's got. He's not just a big forehand. I mean, it's a lot of big Here's forehands. The thing, is
0: Mackie doesn't really have a weapon, like a definitive weapon.
2: Right, but nothing at all. He he's incredibly tough
0: and he's incredibly quick, and yeah. he takes balls. Yeah, yeah, He does all. The, he's like a better version of Jason. Look, I mean, Jones. if
2: you if you just look at this list, it's like you've got guys who can do everything, and then you've got guys who have glaring weaknesses. Yeah, that's true. But know, you're saying I Donaldson. mean, I'm not I mean, it's all relative, obviously. I mean, none of these guys are inside the 20 When you 20, say these guys, who do you mean? Everyone. Okay, I just no, mean I just mean like if you were to separate this four. I mean, there is quite a there is a by gap, Tiafoe, Donaldson first. There's McDonald's. quite a gap between McDonald and, and Moe you know. It's
0: true, and I think and, breaking to the top one hundred is one of the hardest yeah, things. And you know,
2: like you said, all of those guys have won Grand Slam matches this year. That's that's a pretty elite it's level, cool. you yeah, know. No, like be especially given that it's three out of five.
0: Yeah, well for me, I think the guy we always sleep on is Opelka. Just given the success of the big man, the serve, you know at some point he will be elite at that. And we've seen him go on runs. He's made a semifinal in Atlanta before. Obviously he's How a the G- right champion. He's a former correct interview guest, and I believe he's born in nine he's probably twenty one or turning twenty one this year. And yeah. so he's a ninety seven. So a lot of time for growth. You know, you worry I like Tommy Paul.
2: I could see all of these guys. I like Tommy Paul. No, I, I do like Tommy Paul. Yeah, Pratt last too. summer yeah. it was all about Tommy Paul. Yeah. Definitely don't yeah, forget yeah. about him. No, I, and I mean, obviously a big reason for his drop in ranking is the injury. But. I like them all.
0: I'm so upset with my boy Steffi K. It just has
2: not Dude, had he's too small. Ball, so I'm, I'm sorry. Like, he doesn't yeah. have the big... He doesn't have a big enough game. Oh, it's so... Well, i
0: just think He has a beautiful game, craft. but it's not
2: big enough. Ugh. You know, you know what the sad is? This, this you know isn't what, the 1980s. It's no, not about Juana, craft.
0: I'm not arguing back is because I'm slowly coming to that realization. But too many eggs <laughs> are in the Kozlov basket. I will not be He's sure right me. the head of Andy Murray for whatever that's worth. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that was good. Hey, great chat. No, the variety for Kozlov, I'm still going to stick with it. Uh, it. I think my fifth bet would still be Opelka. I still feel confident. I think he has enough weapons. I think he is already, his ground strokes are better than Isner's, and I think you can keep working on this I would it, hope sir. so. It's a pretty low bar. No, but when you're a big, but when you're a big man, the ball is lower. Shot. Great shot. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know what? Well, well. Yeah. I whatever. We can save this argument for another time. But okay, let's do our last thing. Again, if you've been following t- tennis and you've been following this podcast, you know that the first podcast we ever did was reviewing the 2017 Labor Cup. It was one of our favorite events of the year, and it is coming to Chicago this year. So if you haven't look into tickets for that, Max and I will be there. Jamie, are you going to Labor Cup? No, I would. <laughs> well, you know, this this podcast will be the thing that propels you there. You and I will do the play by play. Uh, but So the rosters for the event are slowly leaking out. And if you don't remember the format, even though Jamie says it's Team USA it's versus Team World, it's actually Team Europe versus Team World. But hey, oh, Jamie. Oh, uh, that's a typo. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can be sh- my typo, So it's only fair that I call you out. Hey, um, you were like, hey, can you do this? And I was like, all
1: right, fine, whatever. Yeah, but I, so, did, I did make a mistake, though. I did think of it out as USA. And then I was like, oh, wait, it's not. Nah, it's know literally what? the opposite. Fair enough, fair
0: enough. So, but in terms of the format, again, so European players versus American, or versus American, see so now I made it, hey, Grisha, <laughs> versus, uh, hey it team, is American, Yeah, versus Team World, uh, they place both singles and doubles matches, a lot of mixed up matches, it's a ton of fun, uh, almost a college like atmosphere, you have the teams on the sidelines, it really is An event, that you know, that type of format needs to be. Maybe we do one of those at the beginning (laughs) and one of those at the end. You highlight World on our outline. That's very funny. Uh, But you talk about, you know, the rosters coming into shape, and there have been some announcements recently. And you look at the Team World roster now. Five of the six players have been announced. You have Kirios making a return. You have now two-time major finalist Kevin Anderson. You have two Argentinians. You have Batman and Juan Martin Del Potro and Robin Diego Schwartzman. You don't like them as Batman and Robin?
1: No, but anyway, continue.
0: (laughs) You have John Isner committing to play this year, and then the sixth spot to be determined, though. This is a poor phrase I'll say. If I had to bet, I would say it's going to be Jack Sock. I just think for the doubles, I think Sock, Kyrgios, Isner, they love each other. I think that's the the triumvirate, the... The tripartate, what was the Holy the Trinity? One? The Holy Trinity, there it is. The Holy the Trinity that the McEnroes will be Team McEnroes will be looking for. You have Team Europe, only two names now so far: Fed and Djokovic. But I have to imagine Nadal will be playing after his performance last year. Um, and so I guess you know the the thing will end on Jamie. You can represent Team Europe. Max and I will represent Team McEnroes. That means I'm going to win. <laughs> yeah. Screw the lineups they've given you. Let's name our dream six. What are the Labor Cup lineups you would like to see? And we'll alternate picks. You give me your first, and I'll give you our first.
1: Okay, so we're starting. All right. I, I mean, I think the two they already have are fine. But Fed...
0: Yeah, so you're taking... I mean, Fat Djokovic and Nadal, right? Those are your first three. We don't even need to give yeah. you time. Yeah, okay. I don't need to say those are sweet. Cool. Yeah. Oh, my God. You are such a... F- that's such a f- weak pick. <laughs> oh, I want the three studs. Blah, 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 All right. Well, then, for us, we're well, taking Delpo, we right? I was going to say
1: Murray in the hospital is one. Burdick,
0: Burdich is from Europe, so I I, I think you got to get... And first of all, I made this joke last time, but what do we count Murray as? Who does he play for post-Brexit? Because they're not Europe. Post-Brexit? Does he play for Team World? not like
1: he moved Thomas to Asia. Yeah, but
0: it's not Europe. They definitively said, we are not the European Union. Well, no, yeah, they might not be in the European Union. But it doesn't Maybe we anything. make a then separate like
2: team, South England. America.
0: Yeah, but does that mean... I would say, team Andy, United, Kingdom. come play for us. Like, come on. You might as well come play for Team World. So, assuming he's off the table, I take Delpo one. I think we stick with Kyrgios. I really love Kyrgios in the team setting. Uh, this is the type sp- yeah, of I was going to say,
2: especially in the team setting where he's going to actually care. And he's going to play a little doubles. <laughs> yeah. That's right. going to be cool. And then, so we're in... Dude, on I mean, Kyrgios. I'd love to see Jack Sock play doubles. I mean, right, so... I know so, he's having a crap Is our third year, pick Jack Sock? I would... Definitely, because of the doubles, we're taking Zach.
0: Yeah. All right, we'll take Zach with our third. All right, who's your fourth? I think that's smart. By the way, I would agree. Yeah, um, we're taking the doubles point.
1: Question: mm-hmm. Do I get to put the caveat of like healthy in there?
0: Yeah, everyone's healthy, but no Murray.
1: Okay. Well, um, healthy
0: Wawrinka then. Healthy, no, I think that's an overrated pick. I think he gets no, exposed.
2: No, the he's what? he's absolutely right. Oh my god, dude! dude Stan no. and Fed Stan were not is, actually good at doubles.
1: Dude, I love it.
2: No, the yeah. biggest no, hot take I
0: can throw you right, right is that right. when Stan and Fed won the gold medal in dubs, it was a fluke. It was just Fed in yeah, his prime. Got a gold
1: medal in dubs? not
0: take it? Stan and him. Fed play the U.S. Open doubles. They do not win. I can guarantee that. I'm also shocked you didn't take Zverev. How do you not take him fourth? Because, I don't
1: know. I mean, like, why would I take him? I I I don't know. I'd rather take Mavrinka. If I'm picking a team, I'd rather have for first. Yeah, this is a hypothetical team.
2: A hypothetical stand who's healthy. For our
0: fourth pick, we've got Kyrgios, we've got Delpo, we've got Sok. We're absolutely not taking Milos Raonic. Just <laughs> no Raonic on our team. He is not going to be a participant in my Labor Cup. I agree. But you know who we could take? Mm... Wait, who? I... Oh, but you know who we should take just to stick it to Jamie? What if we take Nishikori? That's his guy. You think Nishikori is good? Nishikori could be a weak. Delta He's player. weak. He's he all. He me? would be a pick. terrible. Yeah. Pick. He would okay, be. No, no, he be terrible, terrible in a team
2: like team environment. He's so soft. Dude, the picks are few. The first curve. thing they tell you about it, in college tennis is you have to be tough.
0: So do you take Nishi Nishikori or Anderson?
2: I will take Anderson. So he played college tennis. Oh, yeah. Okay, so that's Dude. our fourth pick. Lock it in. Yeah. All
0: right, we're taking Kevin Anderson. That's my bad. That was an oversight by me. It's hard. I was going to say it. Anderson. i I'm just like, I don't know. And, uh, so that's our fourth pick. We're taking Anderson. Who are you taking with number five, Jamie? Dan just...
1: Evans. I want to have a good time. No. Did you say Dan Evans? Dan Evans. <laughs>
2: Dude, I've been too. Of course, was suspended uh, for a cocaine I'll use.
1: Take, awesome.
2: I'll take, I'll <laughs> uh, is so boring. You're gonna take Chillage. he
1: gets intense you him in Davis Cup, man. Hold on, you're be, taking Chilich the
2: crazy eye. Dude, you're gonna be able to smell him from the <laughs> nosebleeds. <laughs> you're taking Chilich over Zverev again?
0: Dude, yeah, I don't know why you're so obsessed with Zverev. It's Cause Zverev's know? so good. What if Zverev just plays well?
1: Yeah, what if he
0: doesn't? <laughs> what if he does what he does in every Grand Slam? That's fair. All right, that's fair. So then, fine. You take Chillich. I guess that's kind of a smart pick. You know who we should take next? Hyun Chung. Nah. Dude, the singles. Dude, what are you, you... Oh, my God. Let's take it. All right, who else do you want to take? Give me another name, please. I'm all ears. Are
2: we, uh, do you want Schwartzman? Do you, you want Nishikori? I would, I would take Schwartzman in a heartbeat. Schwartzman over Chung?
0: Yeah really yeah, yeah oh see i might have to get my own friend he was the
2: only guy to take a set off the doll at the french open yeah I'm
0: but chung is don't you want team blister feet <laughs> <laughs> no i don't want people crying or defing for matches because... sponsor do you think Uniqlo sides with chung or they side with fed i mean come on as long as they don't side with us <laughs> yeah we all right what about chapavala dude Ugh. yeah yeah we're no. few and far between at absolutely this point. not what do you want Tiafo?
2: I would take Tiafa over Shapofa. Do we take a Brian
0: and just lock in the doubles? <laughs> I would
2: take them as a as a team. Well, that would
0: be 5 and 6. But then why have Jack Sock? Because he's he's awesome at doubles. Dude, tell, tell me you, I'm wrong. But why have yeah, no, Jack you're right. But why have Jack Sock and the Brian? At that point, wouldn't you want a yeah. better singles player to try and win a singles rubber? Even though we're not
2: going to, yeah. So no, dude.
0: Djokovic could be injured. What if we? There's see... a
2: certain threshold that needs dude, to be you're able to me be Tommy Djokovic met. is
0: going to play in Chicago and not eat deep dish pizza. He's going to have gluten <sighs> everywhere. He's going to be oozing out dude, cheese. If and anything, we're gonna beat him. if anything, and we're going to beat just... him with Chung. <laughs> Chung's going to grind <laughs> him if down like it's the Australian Open. Push him Open. in the
2: opposite direction Did... and make him want to eat more healthily. Did Chung take
0: out Djokovic in the Australian Open? Did...
2: Mm, yes. Yeah. So we're taking that was Chung. also the Australian Open. an executive decision. You have Djokovic. Okay. You can have the next we pick. We can argue We're about We're taking Chung
0: initiated. with our fifth pick. Who do you want for your sixth and final pick, Jamie? Ooh,
1: I'm taking Zverev. You're taking... Oh wait, Misha Zverev. Oh! <laughs> oh!
2: oh hey! Huge, huge, huge
1: double fork. I love it. I'm sticking with it.
0: Oh, that's a great pick—the lefty, the serve value. Although I will say, we're gonna smack them in doubles. We need to win every doubles rubber, like a hundred percent. So again, to recap, right now our team: Kirios, Delpo, Anderson, Sock, Chung, Fligner. You can make the sixth pick. Who do you want? Hmm. Charlie Broom? No, he can't. He's Europe. Yeah. yeah. Well,
2: no, no, no. He is. He is technically oh, UK. Team team, team UK. Um.
0: Oh, it's a tough pick, It is man. a tough
2: Do pick. Do we want Stevie J? No.
0: Hatch on up? Get a little Russian steroid No, no, no we need someone. Do we, we need a someone... steroid connection.
2: And <laughs> no, wait, on. hold on, hold on. We need someone, uh, sorry, eccentric, you know? Eccentric. Yeah, we need, yeah, we need actually, another personality. This is, this is the team fan, of personality. Right? Eccentric. Yeah, come on. <laughs> now yeah we do that yeah, lady on twitter can you know, we
0: uh, can we uh absorb ernest goldis even though he's, he's <laughs> can we does, does latvia count
2: as yeah, like yeah. europe that's yeah. technically sort of a gray area right why don't You're, you guys why are not you
1: guys taking like tennis sandras that's what you know? i didn't. that would give you some character
2: Dude, I'm not taking 10. Dude, no. We don't want those. We two. don't, want, we don't yeah. need that press. Uh,
0: what about, like, Yuki Bamberg?
2: And then we just get... Okay, the fact diamond. that you know that person's name... What about Leighton Hewitt? We just say... <laughs> dude, <laughs> whoa, wait, hear me out, hear me no, out.
0: Is no, that a no, bad? I'm not, idea. I am not arguing. about this before. I was thinking about this even before the pod when you, like, thought about the fact that we might think about
1: this. I was like, dude, Leighton Hewitt would be a sick pick. He Lay- Layton, yeah, Leighton Hewitt as our 6th man. Not he plays arguing one with you
0: doubles all. rubber. Whatever match Federer plays, we match him up with... Leighton Hewitt, yep. and Leighton just, just goes in. after
2: him. Yeah, oh yeah! Or oh. we take Nalbandian, just get oh! under get under Federer's skin. I love that idea. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, can you imagine like how rattled Federer would be? No, we
0: yeah. get Robin Soderling for the single match Nodales. against the do- get <laughs> all of the-
1: all the oh, they're yeah. sitting
0: in our front row. I love that. So, uh,
1: yeah, yeah. No, screw the Macros. They're not our coaches. Yeah. Our coaches are not no bandy, yeah, and, bandy and so related. So they don't
2: even play on the court. They just would play. They're literally just there to get under Nadal's skin. <laughs> all
0: right, I'm all in on that. Uh, so yeah. hopefully those are the changes that the Labor Cup rosters make. Uh, right. Definitely fun. But all right, Jamie, Max, I want to thank you guys both for taking the time to talk about what guy. I know there's a lot of tennis to talk about and. You know we don't have as many stats as we did with Wimbledon, so a lot of it is just talking about what we saw during the live stream. So again, thank you for watching those and doing that. Uh, it's always great when we can talk about these challenger guys because uh, they don't get as much press as they deserve. Um, you know the level of tennis is really not that far off from the first few rounds of Wimbledon. You'll see a lot of guys on the challenger tour, you know, make that jump later on. As we mentioned, Nishikori and McDonald played in the challenger Dallas Challenger final earlier in January of this year. So you know, this level really does translate to the next level. So definitely check out these highlights. You know, a huge shout out again to our super producers, both Flegner and Daniel Westoff, who do a f- good job, as always, making us sound good. But again, Jamie, thank you for taking the time to hop on, and I'm sure we'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely, thanks for having me, it's been a good time. Of course, Fligner, thank you for stopping the, uh, playing with the chemistry set, and I'll be back in the recording laboratory. Uh, oh! <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you for taking me away from my books. Yeah, of course, and I'm sorry, Dr. Flickner, for doing that. But one last time, for Max Fligner, for Jamie McDonald, for Daniel Westoff. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin, and Jamie, Max, what do we say to our guests? Hey! Hey! great Great shot. And we will see you all next week. Thanks, everyone.